June 20th, 2023. We're in Masechet Beza and Daf Kafgimala Mudalaf. If you count from the top of the Amud down, it's 19 lines down, the last word on the line. Ve'osin Gedim Kulas. If you call the Mishnah described to us, Rabban Gamliel, how he disagreed with the Hachamim, the majority opinion, on three matters which he was lenient about. The third of those three was Osin Gedim Mekulas. Gedim Mekulas, as Rashi already explained to us on the Mishnah, is a reference to the animal which was used for Korban Pesach once upon a time, and the way he used to once upon a time roast the Korban Pesach has the Torah describes it as entirely on a skewer, the whole animal, you would have the innards and the legs, the feet, on top of it. And you'd have, so to speak, the entire animal there on this skewer in a way that you were roasting it. The Mishnah says that Rabban Gamliel, disagreeing with the Hachamim, allowed for that to be done even on Erev Pesach. What would the issue be? Well, we addressed it in the Mishnah. We'll see it fleshed out here in the Gemara, why that's a unique opinion of Rabban Gamliel. Says the Gemara, Tanya, we have a Beraita, Rabbi Yoseh, Omer, Rabbi Yoseh told the following, Todos Ish Romi. It was an individual whose name was Todos. He was a man of Rome. Uh, he was, as we'll see in a moment, a, a distinguished and honorable person. Rashi will tell us when the Gemara speaks about him in a moment. Hacham gadol He was both wise and uh, distinguished and honorable. Anyway, what did he do? Hinhiget bene Romi. He uh, directed and he uh, taught direction to bene Romi, to those who lived in Rome. Le'echol gedim mekulas belele pesachim. What he would have them doing is, on Erev Pesach, they would eat, this is after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, a gedim mekulas, the entirety of the animal as it was on the skewer with the legs and the innards above it, they would do, he would have them all doing so. And he was the leader, it sounds like, in some way or fashion and taught them to do such, a, such an action on Erev Pesach. Shalhule, the rabbis, uh, sent to him. Is it the rabbis of Eretz Yisrael, or is it the rabbis of Babel? Piers, it's the rabbis of Eretz Yisrael, it's a Beraita, they sent him Ilmale. Ilmale is a compound word, Ilulo. Had it not been that Todos Ata, if you were not the honorable and knowledgeable, the Talmud Hacham HaNichbad, as Rashi told us, Todos, whose name, so to speak, precedes him, if you weren't an individual whom we felt we had to honor, we had to, uh, to set apart and accept your ways, Guzranu Alecha Nidui, we would have excommunicated you. <laughs> Why excommunicate him? What's he doing wrong? <laughs> because you're feeding Am Yisrael Kodashim. Kodashim refers to meat and animals which are sanctified for the Mikdash. You're feeding them outside of the Mikdash. Of course, this is after the destruction of the Mikdash. And we fear your actions, says the Gemara Kodashim Salkadahatach. Is that what Todos, Todos was actually feeding them? Todos wasn't feeding them that. He was just doing a commemorative Eid of Pesach type of uh, procedure and ceremony. They made what seemed like a Korban Pesach. They hadn't actually sanctified it. They didn't actually make it hektish. You weren't dealing with that reality. Why'd they say that to him? Rather, this is what you should have said. This was the version, the word we were missing in what the rabbi sent to Todos Ishromi. Ke'en Kodashim. Ke'en means just, look, uh, just like. It looks like Kodashim. Uh, effectively then, what the message of the Hachamim to Todos was, 
is you're setting forth for the people, as Rashi explains, a stumbling block. You're teaching them that they can reenact Korban Pesach. People are going to misunderstand this. People will believe it's an actual Korban Pesach. People, in turn, will actually be maktish. They'll sanctify the animal. I mean, a lot of problems, a lot of trouble if you do such a thing without a Beit HaMikdash. But they didn't excommunicate him. The Gemara in Masech Berachot and Dafyotet, in fact, has this as his, um, his irreverence. The reason they wanted to excommunicate him was specifically because he was irreverent. He didn't show they felt the proper respect for the rabbis. So it's not so much for the gesture, it's because of uh, the notion of going against the, uh, the mainstream. We have in our Mishnah, however, Rabban Gamliel was of this opinion, right? Rabban Gamliel, that's how this whole conversation began. He would allow for this. He had no problem with people eating Gedi Mikulas and Erev Pesach. But the Gemara makes clear to us this was far from simple to the extent that Todos Ish Romi, who sent and led the people of Romi in such a direction, the rabbis felt it was very dangerous. You were potentially going to be misleading the people into them believing that they're dealing with actual Kodesh. They'll then create Kodesh and misappropriate and mishandle it. Question? Why not? No, 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 but you didn't, you're not reenacting anything in Aram Pesach. This is the only Korban that was roasted in such a fashion. Doing it on the Eid of Pesach makes it appear as if it's the Kodesh. It says the next Mishnah, now that we've talked about Rabban Gamliel and the three ways in which, three circumstances where he was more lenient than the mainstream, the Hachamim opinion, uh, let's list three circumstances where Rabil Azar ben Azariya, he too was more lenient than the Hachamim. As an individual, he opposed them and was more lenient in practice and in preaching. The three circumstances, I imagine among many others, but these are going to be Shabbat Yom Tov specific. And uh, there were three situations where Rabbi Azar ben Azariah was matir, he was lenient, he permitted. And the Hachamim Osrim, they, uh, they prohibited, they were stringent. Number one. Parato Yosea Baresua Sheben Karneha. Para is a, is an, a, a cow. Yosea means it would go out, which means to say uh, he would allow for his cow, no, he's not using the cow, but he'd allow for the cow to be roaming and be walking around with resua, with a belt of some sort, ben karneha, in between its horns. I imagine it's more of a bull-like uh, cow. We don't see cows, to the best of my knowledge, really with horns. So a bull-like cow, I would, uh, what's the issue with it going out with uh, some sort of belt in between its, uh, its horns? Uh, so the, the interpretation, explanation over here is there's a halakha, it's called shivitat behema. Uh, the Torah in the two places talks about how Shabbat is not only a time of resting for you, but it's also for your hamor and for your shor, for your donkey and for your ox. You need to allow for them to rest as well. It's the first time, best my knowledge, parasha mishpatim and shemot perekaf gimal. As a result, we are nizhar. We have a pro, we have a restriction and a, or, or rather a, a positive commandment of shivita of resting not only ourselves but our animals as well. Question is with regards to how to define that. What does it mean that you're resting animals? So you can't have strenuous uh, labor and activity with regards to your animal. Is this strenuous and uh, laborious activity, uh, to having that uh, that resu'a ben karneha, it's not dragging anything per se, it's doing it lenoi, it's doing it for beauty reasons, but ultimately speaking there is something on it 
that doesn't need to be on it. Is that a problem? That's what we're dealing with in the Mishnah. So the first circumstance says, Rabbi Azab ben Azariah, that's an adornment. It looks nice on your cow. I don't know, we're far from such a thing. We don't think about cows looking beautiful. But its adornment was permitted, whereas the Hachamim disagree. They said, oh, it's unnecessary burden on it. It's carrying that around. That's problematic. Rashi, interestingly, adds a word. Parato Yosea says, Rashi, Bishabbat. Why does Rashi say Shabbat? Isn't there any sort of Shibitat Behema on Yom Tob as well? Uh, it's based on this that uh, many of the poskim, not only based on this, have a conversation. There's a debate about whether Shivitat Behema is relevant to Yom Tob or not. Again, to you and me, not that relevant. We're not dealing with animals all that once upon a time. With many animals, it was very relevant. Ramar Rabbi Moshe Isilis in his glasses to Shohan Aruch is of the opinion that there's no issue of Shivitat Behema on Yom Tob. Many people point to Tosafot Yom Tob on our Mishnah, points to this Rashi, and says, ah, you see, Rashi agrees. That's why he said Bishabbat. Alternatively, there are other interpretations to this. Maybe on Yom Tov it would be permitted, says Magen Abraham, according to Rashi, because the same way you and I are allowed to carry on Yom Tov, so to our animals allowed to carry on Yom Tov. And even though we're dealing with Shivitat Behemah, if it's not strenuous and it's only a carrying issue, maybe that would be permitted according to all. Okay, either way you slice it, that's the first halakha in the Mishnah, that Rabil Azar ben Azariya, again, he was matir, for parato, pay attention, that's what the Gemara is going to ironically pick up on. His cow. Well, the Gemara is going to say he only had one cow. Again, for me and you, uh, one cow is too much. So the Gemara is going to suggest Bilazab ben Azariah didn't have only one cow. How could you speak about just one cow of this? Okay, but uh, so again, so the first situation, parato, his cow, Yosea Beresuashe ben Karnea. Number two, umekaredin et behema beyom tob. Lekared and Legared are similar words, that's the Kof and the Gimal are interchanged, and it's a reference to combing um, or scratching the animal to make certain that any of the dirt, the filth, the uh, mud which is caught in the hair of the animal is out. And so you would take, or you do take, uh, this comb uh, uh, item and you run it through the skin on the animal, which in turn well, we'll talk about what in turn happens. Uh, that's a heter, says Rabbi Azab and Azariah, you're allowed to do that on Yom Tov. Why would you not be able to do that on Yom Tov? The issue, which will be clear from the Gemara, is asiat habura. Habura means there's going to be a bruise. Uh, by having what was a metal and sharp-edged and sharp-toothed uh, uh, a comb is that as you would be combing it, you'd in, in, inadvertently, but certainly bring forth, potentially certainly bring forth bruises to the animal. What's the issue with a bruise to the animal, to a bruise to anyone? It's either a toleda of what's called shehita, you're not allowed to slaughter, which is one melacha, or alternatively it's sovea, it's you're bringing forth color uh, through the blood which either collects inside and is seen outside or actually comes out. Uh, both of those problematic on Yom Tov, on Shabbat. Uh, but his statement of Bilazah ben Azayah, for some reason, is it's permitted. We'll have to address why he permits that. If it's going to bring forth the bruise, so then it should certainly be prohibited. Uh, that's his statement. Obviously, the Hachamim are disagreeing because of what we just mentioned. There's an Asiyat Habura, there's a creation of a bruise which is prohibited. Lastly, the Shohakin et Pilpelin Berehaim Shelahin. You're allowed to grind in one way or another pilpelin, peppers of sorts, in their grinding stone. Of course you're allowed to, it's a Yom Tov. Well, we did talk a little bit about the details with regards to the Sandaf Yodalit some time ago, but suffice it to say right now, Barehaim Shelahem is the biggest issue. 
It's not so much the grinding, it's that it's in their millstone. Their millstone we look at as potentially it's weekday activity. If you're going to crush it in some other roundabout way, you might recall, we talked about some of those sorts of ways back on Daf Yodalit, it would be permitted even according to the Hachamim over here, Bila Azab and Azariah, for one reason or another says, this is permitted on Yom Tov, even in its millstone, you're trying to bring forth the spice uh, taste from the spices, or they're all together and you want to crush them, make them into smaller pieces, it's permitted. Rabbi Udaomer, now those are the three cases, again, let's enumerate them, go through them one more time. The Resuash ben Karnea, the Para, which would go out with that belt in between its horns, the issue potentially of Shivitat Behema on Shabbat, says Rashi. Number two, to comb the hair, uh, to make some, but you're not really combing the hair in order to untangle it, you're combing it in order to clean it out. So you're going to be deeply digging in. Because of Habura or Osir. And lastly, Shehikat Pilpilin, that crushing which is permitted potentially on Yom Tov, but the whole weekday activities, which according to the Hachamim is prohibited, is restricted in a circumstance that it's rehaim shelahem, in their millstone. Now, back to the second case, says the Mishnah, you should know, we talked about in that second case, the Kalmim. There's different opinions. So what we have? We had Hachamim, who are seemingly fully osir. We had Rabbi Azab and Azariah, who permitted this Kalmim. Rabbi Hudaomer, en mekaredine tabehema biyom tob. Alright, so Rabbi Hudaomer is directly parallel with Hachamim. It's got to be adding something. Mipene she'ose habura. That's exactly as we articulated. The reason you're not allowed to comb the hair and the skin of the animal on Yom Tov, says Rabbi Huda, in contrast to Rabbi Azab ben Azariah, uh, together with Hachamim, because you're making a habura aval. Here's what he adds in. Mekarsefin. What you can do is be mekarsef. That uh, didn't help us that much. It's just another big Hebrew word. Mekarsefin, we'll find out in the Gemara. Rashi already helps us a little bit in the Mishnah. Mekarsefin says Rashi, Bimegarere shil etz, Sheshine hagasot ven habura. It's instead of being made out of metal, this, this comb, it's made out of wood. And instead of it having sharp and narrow uh, edged um, teeth to that uh, comb, it's got thicker and as a result less, uh, dull. less more dull and less, uh, less sharp and therefore you won't make a habura. So that's the statement of Biuda. How can anybody disagree with that? Rabbi Yudah's basic statement is, you're allowed to do it in a circumstance where it's not going to make a bruise. Hachamim omrin, hachamim omrin, They explicitly say you can't. How would you rationalize hachamim? We'll see in the Gemara, it's a gezera. So for the hachamim, you're not allowed to do gereda, why not habura? And you might say, but some combs are permitted, other combs are prohibited. The hachamim felt that's too dangerous. You're leading the people down a slippery slope. You're going to permit some and prohibit other ones. They use one, they don't, ah, it's going to be too much. You can't comb the animal at all on Yom Tov. All right, that's what we're dealing with, these three cases. So as I told you, the Gemara is going to pick up on a fine point in the Mishnah initially. And that is that the statement of Bila Azab and Azariah was not a statement at all initially. It was rather an action. His para, parato yosea, parato yosea ben karnea. His cow would go out with that belt in between, that tied item in between its horns. His belt, his cow. Says the Gemara lememra. This implies, this is telling me, dirabil azab ben azariah hada para havyale. 
If I say to you, your car, I imagine it means you only have, well, I don't know if that works any longer, but once upon a time, at least in Hebrew, it worked that way. If you talk about his cow, I mean, his cow, he had one cow. Didn't say parotav, oh, that's the way to say it. In other words, it's a description of what he would do consistently or let be done consistently on the holidays. If you were talking about the fact that he would let his cows go like that, it should say parotav. Why does it say parato? It sounds like he had one cow. Maybe indeed he did, says the Gemara, but we know something. Interesting about Abil Azab ben Azayah, Rav, don't we have the statement either in the name of Rav or Rav Yehuda? Amar Rav, Amar Rav it was Rav Yehuda in the name of Rav. Telesar alfe agle or egle hava me'aser bil'azar ben azariah me'edre kol shata veshata. Telesar means thirteen, alfe means thousand. So thirteen thousand egle means calves. Hava me'aser, he would take ma'aser behema. Rebil Azab and Azariah me'edre, ed means a flock, from his flock, kol shata veshata, shata means year, every single year. Now just understand the mathematics, I didn't do it all out, it's very simple. It's 13,000, which means 13,000 was a tenth of not only what he owned, of the new animals, ma'asir behema is your newborn animals. So a tenth out of, uh, one out of every ten is what was given as ma'asir behema. Now, it, it seems clear, although it's possible not, this is a highly exaggerated number to say, he had a lot of animals. You want it to be literal? Maybe, it just uh, defies, defies my imagination how he had so many animals. Regardless, the statement is, he had many animals. He would be taking ma'asir behema from 13,000. That's just in terms of the newly born, you have to add nine-tenths more to that. That's a lot of animals. Parato? What, what do you mean parato? He has one Why does the Mishnah, uh, good point, the Mishnah, the Gemara is fine-tuning fine, uh, fine this. It's very careful on every detail. Why does the Mishnah articulate it, speak it out by saying his cow? Why not his cows? One answer. <laughs> A hundred percent. That's all we're focused on. The Gemara does not focus on Shevitat Behema here. It leads, by the way, to the confusion, as I mentioned earlier. If you have Shevitat Behema on Yom Tov, you don't even have a discussion of it. Here's what you want it to happen. Happens elsewhere briefly. It doesn't happen over here. Well, that's what we focus on in our Gemara. The Gemara says, why does it say his cow? It seems to denote, again, you might say, you might wave your hand and say, oh, come on. It means one of his cows. That's not how the Hachamim on they were a little bit more sensitive to the words of the Mishnah than me and you, and they say, if it says parato, it meant he had one. And as a result, we have a contra answers the Gemara. Uh, Tana, there's a lesson to be learned from this in the Beraita, lo shelo hayeta. Uh, when we refer to this in the Mishnah, it wasn't his cow. Of course, he had, you couldn't say his cow, he had, uh, he had hundreds and thousands of cows. Ela shel shechinato hayeta. It wasn't his cow at all, it was his neighbor, the woman next door. Her cow. So then why, why, why does the Mishnah say his cow? And the fact that he didn't rebuke her and tell her you shouldn't be do this, doing this, it was as a result known as his cow. Uh, there's a Musar to be uh, learned from that. Uh, when you're an individual who's living amidst or amongst people who are doing the wrong thing and you're not telling them not to do it, 
It's nikreta al shemo. People are going to say, this is your decision. But I didn't want that to be happening, but you didn't. Uh, it's a lesson I've learned on, unfortunately, more than one occasion, one sex. Uh, in other words, the statement in turn in the Gemara is, he had this neighbor, he didn't rebuke her and tell her not to do it. Of course, he didn't rebuke her and tell her not to do it because he believed that it's mutar. But ultimately speaking, what the Gemara tells us is it was known as his cow. Everybody knew it was his neighbor. Oh, there's his cow. The Rabbi Lazav and Azayaka. Why? Because it's his opinion, clearly, the fact that he's allowing for this to happen or that we don't know that he protested it happening, that this is permitted. Again, there's, there's the negative side of it when you know it shouldn't be happening and you don't say it's Nikret al Shemo as well. Yes, John. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I believe that he did let his as well. I think the point of the Mishnah, unless I'm reading, I think the point of the Gemara is even though his own ones were that way as well, the one that everyone picked up on was this woman. Maybe he himself didn't do it, but I don't think we're being, he's being Mahmir per se. Uh, Otherwise, it doesn't match the Mishnah, Joe. You know, the Mishnah then doesn't make sense. The Mishnah says three things he was lenient about. You're telling me he should have been rebuking or should have been protesting, so then he wasn't lenient on it. Then he was doing the wrong thing. And he could have just used his own and we would achieve the same conclusion. We were allowed. So what Joey's saying is it sounds like his own weren't doing that. So he was suggesting maybe because Rabbi Al-Azab and Azayah were stringent. Hard to argue is stringent. The Mishnah tells us he was lenient, unless it's the wrong uh, presentation. I don't. I'm not accepting the Mishnah like that. Yeah. As a result, he probably just didn't do it with the sandals. Okay Possible as well. Possible as well. Nathan suggests. Can't, can't say not, is that maybe on his own animals, and the Gemara is implicitly telling us that, he was mahmir, like the hachamim, although he felt that al-pidin, it's mutar, and so he allowed for it to happen. Possible tosafot, if you thought we were on a minor point, so to speak, a tosafot picks up on another point, which is not central to our sugya, but interesting nonetheless, Tosafot asks a question, we'll read it in a moment. What are we talking about over here? Ma'asir behema. Ma'asir behema means taking a tenth. One second, when was that relevant? Tosafot at the very end will quote from the Gemara um, elsewhere that the Gemara says explicitly in Masechet Bechorot and Daf Nun Gimal that after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, we no longer take Ma'asir behema. When was Rabbi Lazab and Azariah living? Tosafot does not so difficult uh, mechanical work in order to point out to us after the destruction of the Mikdash. That being the case, why is he taking Ma'asir Behema? We, we had this statement, Rav, or Rav Yehuda, in the name of Rav, he took 13,000 animals for Ma'asir Behema every, every year. Uh, beautiful, fantastic, with such nice tzedakah and such wealth, and he's using it in the right way. But what's he doing Ma'asir Behema? We don't do that after the destruction of the Beit Mikdash. Why don't we, parenthetically, before we read Tosafot uh, inside? The reason we don't think Imaran Bechorot says is because since the point of Ma'asir Behema was that you bring those animals, you slaughter them, you sacrifice, and you eat from them in Yerushalayim, but they had a, sa- a status of sanctity. They had holiness to them. If you're not able to sacrifice it and you sanctify it, you're setting yourself up for failure because the only way you're going to be able to benefit from it is if there's a moom, if there's a blemish. It means you can't shear it and you can't work with it. You're going to have it out in your field and you're going to be waiting for the blemish to befall it. Someone's going to make a mistake, said the rabbis. 
we just won't sanctify the 10th any longer. We'll stay away from this because we can't anyway fully perform this mitzvah the way it's supposed to be. All right, but that being the case, again, the question is, why is he doing it? I thought we don't do it. Tosafot on the left-hand side, Telesar aser vetema. And it's a question, it's a wonderment. It says Tosafot. He was after the destruction of the Mikdash. Tuba means a lot. Deha, here's their mechanical work. So many of us are familiar, all of us probably. Right, that's in the midst of really, the Gemara flashes it out, a story. Rabban Gamliel was the leader, was the Nasi. He was replaced by Rabbi Azab ben Azariah, which means before him was Rabban Gamliel. How old was he when he takes over? 18 years old. And he says, I look like 70. Okay, but it means for our purposes. That's why Tosafot takes it as if we all know this. So it means in terms of the leadership, the nasi of the community there in Israel was Rabban Gamliel and only afterwards would be Lazar ben Azariah. Right, you didn't really prove anything to me in terms of destruction of Mikdash. But Rabban Gamliel habayit. And Rabban Gamliel lived after the destruction of the Mikdash. How do you know that? And you should know, we learned in Masechet Roshanan, Daflamid, it's in Masechet Sukkah as well, Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai had many enactments, Zechel HaMikdash, to commemorate the destruction of the Mikdash, to remember that. I remember one of them was that the Lulav is taken all the days of the holiday, not just on the first day, among others. But Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai was purposed to remember the destruction, Zechel HaMikdash, remember the destruction of, so oh, one second. Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai, whom Tosafot will point out in a second, is the first for our purposes. Following him is Rabban Gamliel. Following him is Rabbi Azab ben Azariah in terms of the leadership of the community in Israel. Now, if Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai is making enactments to commemorate the destruction of the Mikdash, it probably means that the two, the two later, uh, Rabbi Azab ben Azariah is as well living uh, for all intents and purposes, most of his life after the destruction of the Mikdash. Alright, so, uh, uh, there's one detail Tosafot throws in which we don't find per se explicit to the best of my knowledge in the Gemara I must have it from a Midrash and that is that Rabban Gamliel was supposed to take over um, initially he was the next in line in his family why was it that Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai took over before him because his father Bishimon, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel uh, passed away when Rabban Gamliel was very young so it went like this Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel passes away this is what Tosafot maps out for us Rabban Gamliel who's going to take over his place as Nasi is too young Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai jumps into that position uh, after Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai is Rabban Gamliel ultimately speaking he's taken out of his position, and they put Rabbi Azab ben Azariah. Maybe Rabbi Azab ben Azariah was a very old man when he took over, and he was alive during the time of the Beit No, he was 18 years old when he took over. Stands to reason, says Tosafot, Bilaza ben Azariah, if he lived during the time of the Mikdash, he was a very young boy, 
if that was he lived then at all. Oh, here we're getting to the crux of the question. As I told you, and the Gemaraza Masech Berachot de la Har Horban it batel kol maasar behema after the destruction of Mikdash, we don't have maasar behema. So why then we get to the question of Tosafot is Rabbil Azar ben Azariah doing on thirteen thousand agalim every year maasar behema? Three answers of Tosafot. Firstly, Viesh Lamar. First answer, it wasn't an immediate doing away with Ma'asir Behema. What happened was the Mikdash was destroyed, and then for several decades they continued doing Ma'asir Behema. At a certain point the rabbis realized this is a stumbling block. The people aren't doing this properly. What's happening is they're doing Ma'asir Behema. They can't bring the animal to sacrifice. And they end up violating all sorts of restrictions. They're not supposed to be shearing the animals. It's supposed to work. And at some point later on, not in the initial generations, they did away with it. That's why Rabbi Lazab and Azariah was doing Ma'asir Behima. Second answer, Iname Apotropos Shel Rabbi Lazar Ben Azariah Shayabi Mehabayit Hayameaser. Yes, Rabbi Lazab and Azariah may have been alive during the time of the Mikdash. However, he was a very young man. Very young man. He had an aputropos. Aputropos means a designated individual to handle your assets and the estate. And so that's the person who was giving. So when we said Rabbi Azam and Azariah was had 13,000, it wasn't when he was a grown man. When he was a grown man, it was after the destruction of Mikdash. When he was a little boy, he had an inheritance, he had thousands of animals. His appointed individual, the estate the manager, the, he was the one who was giving it. That's the way we deal with this. It was actually Bisman Shabbat Mikdash Kayam. Lastly, in my opinion, the most fascinating of the three answers. When we say that he was giving Maaser, it wasn't really giving Maaser. It wasn't Maaser Behemah. So, what are you talking about? This was his taxes. He was giving a tenth. We have an attesting, uh, we have this testimony of, of Rav, or Rav Yudan, the name of Rav, 13,000 animals every year. We thought, what a beautiful mitzvah. Not much, what a beautiful mitzvah. It's speaking about his wealth more than anything else. He gave 13,000 as his tenth to the king every year. But ultimately speaking, Tosafot then was dealing with, as I mentioned, the side point, the Gemara was on the side point. What do we have fundamentally and foundationally in our Mishnah? We have a concept known as Shibitat Behema, which is Asur on Shabbat, and we have a Mahlok and a dispute between Rabbi Azab and Azayan Hachamim, how to translate that. When you have the belt in between the horns, but you're not carrying anything with the animal, is that still considered a problem of Shibitat Behema or not? All right, says the Gemara, we have a little bit more. Let's talk about the combing of the hair quickly of the animals. Tanura banan, umikaridine tabehema biyom top. Tanura banan means it's a beraita. Ezehu kirud veezehu kirsuf. We may have translated them in the Mishnah, but the Gemara hasn't done so yet, and the beraita says, what's kirud, which we saw, if you recall, according to the hachamim and rabiudah is asur, and kirsuf, which according to the hachamim is permitted, different types of combs. Answers the Gemara, kirud kitanim veoseh habura, kirsuf gedolim veen osin habura. The difference is between how thick or thin, and as a result, how dull or how, how sharp each of those um, uh, teeth of the, uh, of the comb are. Kirud, they're sharp. Kirsuf, they're not. Rashi told us further, one's made out of metal and the other one's made out of wood. But again, the point is, what's going to make a habura and which one's not? Vishalosh mahlokot badavar, and it turns out we have three different opinions who disagree over here. We articulated them all in the Mishnah, you might recall. Rabbi Uda's opinion. What is Rabbi Uda's opinion? Davar she'enomit kaven asur. 
Rabbi Yehuda's opinion is, oh, here we get to the crux of our issue. Davar she'eno mitkaven. Oh, those are very important words. What do those words mean? Davar, a matter, she'eno mitkaven, which she didn't intend to do. Uh, we're now introduced to the whole point over here. As the person is combing the hair of their animal, they have no intention, no interest in there being a bruise to the animal. That's called davar she'eno mitkaven, but you will or might or did make a bruise. Was that a problem or not? There is, we'll see it on Dafkaf Gimal Amudbet, a machlok between Bishimon and Bihuda, about whether on Shabbat and Yom Tov, Davar Sheinomit Kaven is Matmutar or Asur. Why would you say Asur? Well, you, did the, you violated the law. You made a bruise. Who cares your intention? Why would you say Mutar? Because the Torah, when it articulates the laws of Shabbat, and by extension Yom Tov, it tells us it needs to be Melechet Mahashevet. Mahashava means thought. Thoughtful action. If it's thoughtless or it's in inten- unintended, it's permitted. That's mahlok between Bishimon and Bihuda. Says the Gemara, Bihuda's opinion is, Davar she'no mitkaven asur. Unintentional melacha on Shabbat is prohibited. As a result, I had no intention as I did the kirud. I'd rather not, and I didn't realize I was going to, more importantly, make the bruises on the animal. Says the Bihuda. Problematic nonetheless. Therefore, says Rabbi Yehuda, kirud, the sharp metal comb, asur. So again, Rabbi Yehuda, savar davar she'eno mitkaven asur. Mihu, however, kirud ketanim ve'ose habura, kirsuf gedolim ve'en osin habura, says Rabbi Yehuda. However, we could distinguish when you deal with the sharp, the um, smaller, thinner uh, teeth uh, comb called kirud, uh, then you're going to make a habura. Davar she'eno mitkaven asur. As says Rabbi Yudai, can't kirsuf, which is thicker and duller. Over there, it's permitted. Ve'lo gazrinan kirsuf atu kirud. And there's no gezera. We don't roll in the fact that kirud is asur. Well, kirsuf is as well asur because we restrict it because we're nervous you're going to come confuse them. Rabbanan savre, the hachamim. What were the hachamim's opinion? They held, they maintained in our Mishnah. It's all asur. First and foremost, they maintain like Rabbi Yehuda, Davar she'eno mitkaven asur, ve'gazrinan kirsuf atu kirut. However, they go a step further. They say not only is kirut the sharp edge teeth of the comb asur, we're nervous you and I are going to confuse the two, and as a result, all combing is asur. Ve'ribi l'azah ben what about the permitting opinion? The lenient opinion, ribi l'azah ben azariya, savar la kirbi shim'on, da'amar davar she'eno mitkaven mutar, uben kirut, and the last opinion, Bilaza ben Azayab, maintains, as Tosafot tells us, the majority, the mainstream opinion, that is Davar Sheno Mitkaven on Shabbat and on Yom Tov is Mutar. It's permitted. If it's an unintentional action, that's not, per, not certainly going to take place. It's mutar, davar she'eno mitkaven, the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. The Gemara wraps this up. We have one or two other matters to address. But again, what do we have fundamentally underlying our Mishnah then now? We have a mahloket about the fundamentals of Shabbat. Davar she'eno mitkaven, is it mutar or is it asur? If something's unintentional, melacha, permitted or forbidden, mahloket biudan, bishimon, it's what's playing out in our Mishnah. Rabbi Azab and Azariah is following Rabbi Shimon mutar, Rabbi Yehuda on his own, the Hachamim following, ironically, Rabbi Yehuda are maintaining Asur. Uh, you'd think. Davar she'eno mitkaven is Asur. Amar ava, amar av Nachman amar Shemuel, v'amrela amar av Nachman lechudeh, halakha kirbi Shimon. The halakha is like kirbi Shimon, that davar she'eno mitkaven is mutar. Shehare, Rabbi Laza ben Azariah modelo. What's the proof it sounds like? Not only does Rabbi Shimon hold, maintain davar she'eno mitkaven is mutar, but Rabbi Laza ben Azariah as well. Amar le'rava le'rav Nachman. 
Rava responds to Rav Nachman says, that's why halacha is like Rabbi Shimon. Velema mor halacha kirbi Yehuda. Why don't you say the halacha is like Rabbi Yehuda? I have better for you. The hachamim, shahre hachamim modim lo. The hachamim agree with Rabbi Yehuda. If anything, the halacha should be davar sheno mitkaven asur. Amar le'ana kirbi Shimon sevirali. He said, the truth is, I maintain the halacha independent of Rabbi Lazar ben Azayah. Hachamim is like Rabbi Shimon. Davar sheno mitkaven is mutar. So then why'd you say shahare? That's not what I meant. I didn't mean because Rabbi Lazar. I meant to say the following. Halakhaz like Rabbi Shimon. Guess what? Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah also maintained that. That's the proof. And furthermore, fortifying my opinion that this is permitted, Bilaza ben Azariah maintains that way as well. There's one last point that needs to be addressed over here, and that's the following. So let me briefly summarize, very, very briefly, what happened over here. We had a mahlok Rabbi Shimon ben The circumstances, this combing of the hair. But wait a second. Everybody, I think in the room, we've discussed it enough times, knows that even on davar she'enom mitkaven, when it's unintentional, but it's certainly going to take place. That's a story, even according to Rabbi Shimon. In a circumstance where it's certainly going to take place, we say, ah, oh, you intended that, you can't. So, so Mi'iri asks this question, he gives two separate answers. His first answer is, this isn't per se pesikreshe. Who said it's certainly going to make a bunch? It's not guaranteed, and as a result, it's permitted. That's his first answer. The second answer of Mi'iri is that perhaps this is another proof for a famous shita in Masechet Shabbat and Afkof Gimal and Tosafot and elsewhere of Aruch. Aruch, Rabbi Natan Baal Aruch maintained that, as Jared just said, Pesik Reshet de la Nihale is mutar. What does la Nihale mean? If I'm not interested, I'm not happy with the outcome, even though it's certainly going to take place. I didn't intend it, but it's certainly going to take place. But I'm not interested. I'm not, it's not pleasant surprise. And it's not exciting for me. That's mutar. Now, we don't maintain that way. We go like Rabbeinu Tam Sassum Rabbanan. This might be a Gemara that supports the Aruch, however. Fundamentally, however, though, we address then in the final segment of the Gemara these two ma- basic and major opinions of Rabbi Shimon Biuda and Davar Sheinom Baruch Adonai Amen